Well, this last week, I spent some time, several visits with a friend on the other end of the age spectrum from my granddaughter, Katie. She's a wonderful woman who attends here at E, and she's nearing her last days here on earth, about ready to go see Jesus, and she has been having some amazing conversations with the Lord, and she was telling me about them, and she told me, she says, God is telling me all these wonderful things about me that he loves. And she said, he's telling me that I'm not the bad person I've always thought I was. And I just felt like this morning, before I start to talk about good service, that God, maybe there's two of you here, maybe there's more of you here that need to hear this. You don't have to wait till you're 90 to really realize and have confidence in God's love for you. You don't have to wait till then to hear God say to you, you're not as bad as you think you are. You're not the bad person you think you are. And you are deeply loved. John said it this way in 1 John 1, 3, 3, 1 rather, where he said, see how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. He wants to lavish his love on you this morning and it's into that environment of really having a confidence today as you walk in the room, whatever kind of week you've had, Whatever kind of track record you have in behavior, in attitudes, in your mindset, in your thoughts this week. You may feel like the worst of all sinners, as Paul described himself. He said, but to me, God showed his grace and his love. And this morning, that's what is waiting for you. That's the context into which we're going to talk about being of service to one another. Is in the context of really knowing and understanding you're forgiven this morning. You're loved this morning. And that's never going to change on God's part. It's never going to change. Just a wonderful place to begin. Well, does everybody have their hands ready? Because I need to take a quick survey. All right. Thank you, Steve. I need to see how many of you are volleyball players or have played volleyball in your life. Oh, yeah, a lot of you. How about badminton? Any badminton players? All right. How about tennis? Wow, this service has more than last night of tennis. We're going to have to put some doubles games together or something. How about ping pong or table tennis, as the more sophisticated put it? All right. Well, what do all of these sports have in common? Every single one of them includes serving. That's right. And in them, if you're able to serve the ball or the birdie to another person in such a way and with such skill that they can't return it or it's almost impossible to return, we call it an ace. And today, we're going to talk about another kind of serving, serving one another with the gifts that God's put in each one of us. And I want you to know today the context for our remarks is this. Many of you are ace servers with the gifts that God's given you. You really are. And that's what we're going to be celebrating March 9th because this weekend, about 250 of you are going to receive a little invitation for our volunteer appreciation event this year. And we're calling it transformers, because that's what each one of you are, transformers. Jared talked last week about good faith community, and he talked about how we need to connect. I got to listen to it on the podcast, so I didn't just have some dry notes to look at. I got to really hear it. But he talked about the importance of in a community, you're not really a community if you don't connect, if you don't have relationship with each other. And he put his hands together like this, and then he said, and then the second half of that is committing. You're only doing half church if all you do is connect. But when we commit, we end up with whole church. And this week, 
We're talking about as we've connected with each other and built relationships and as we've committed to each other to be a community together where we can grow and fall down and help each other back up. And then this week we're talking about now we're ready to contribute to each other as we're committed and connected with each other. And it's in that context as each one of us contributes our gifts that each of us is transformed, hence transformers. Every one of us, every time we share our gifts, are contributing to one another's transformation into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. So it's a wonderful thing. I'd like you all to just put your hands out there. we got to practice this because it's going to be a reminder to you in that moment when you are thinking of disconnecting. Or in that moment when you're thinking, my gifts don't matter. Who I am doesn't matter here. I'm invisible. I want you to remember this. So we connect. We commit. And then we contribute to one another so that we can all together grow up and be transformed into who Jesus is. Well, let's read together and discover what Paul has to say about how every one of us, even us ace servers, even if you're in that category, which many of you are, how we can improve our serve together. And it's in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning in verse 7 and continuing to verse 16. So here's what it says. But to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. This is a reference here to Jesus' death burial and resurrection because it's, not, it's described elsewhere in scripture that he descended into the lowest parts of hell and, let, and set free the captives and then rose to take his rightful place at the right hand of the father. And this is just a reference to all that. And we pick it back up in verse 11. It was he, that is Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service, to prepare. That word there is used of aligning a bone that's been broken. Those compound fractures where the bone actually gets misaligned and now you have to put it in line. It's also used in the New Testament of mending the fisherman nets to prepare them, to put them back together so that no fish could escape the net, to put them in their rightful place. So to prepare God's people for works of service, to line them up in right order for that. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Well, good service really begins with Jesus. You notice that in these nine verses, there are 15 references to Christ either using a personal pronoun for him or direct use of his proper name. Because good service, being of service to one another, always starts with what Jesus has done and is doing in and through each one of us. 
And the two big ideas that are at the first verse we read in verse 7 and the last verse we read, verse 16, is this. Everyone has something to do. Every single one of us has a gift, has something to contribute. And secondly, everyone's service, everyone's work, everyone's gift is needed, is more than needed, necessary in order for all of us to thrive and become who Jesus wants us to be. So let's unpack those two big ideas. Everyone has something to give or something to do. First of all, in that first verse, when he says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. It's really saying that every person in this room is gifted. It tells us that word apportioned is just a fancier way of saying distributed. It says that Jesus distributed gifts. And here Paul departs from the language he uses in the first six verses of this chapter. Because the first six verses are all about the we. All about together, the community, the plural pronouns. But now he's taking care to say each one of us. To highlight that there is not one person that falls outside of this. Each one of us. We all have gifts. And when I think of distributing gifts, I can't help but think of Christmas morning. We all have different um, traditions for how we distribute gifts. But how many of you would say you have a person that you designate that takes the gifts under the tree and distributes them to each person? You guys, a bunch of you, yeah. And people do it in different ways in each family. But the difference here is instead of distributing gifts that are from all different people, Jesus is distributing gifts and they all have one gift tag on them. Every single gift tag says the same thing in big letters, from Jesus. Paul says it another way in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. He says it this way. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. Now, some of us may have listened to the five gifts that were mentioned here in this particular passage of Ephesians. You know, the apostles, the teachers, the prophets, and you're going, all right, I'm not on that list. I'm off the hook. But I want you to know that this is just a representative list. This particular list focused on equipping gifts. Over in 1 Corinthians 12, you're going to see a list of what many call power gifts, They're gifts that are given to believers as they respond to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and uh, distributes gifts of the Holy Spirit in each person. And those power gifts, gifts of healings and cures, gifts of miracles. Boy, those are some, hey, how many of you say, okay, God, you know, I'd like that one. But he says he distributes them as he will. So there's those power gifts. And then over in Romans 12, we get a lineup of other gifts. And those gifts are things like mercy and generosity and administration and serving. And did you know there's a gift of helps? That's what it was referred to there, that there are people who are actually better at that than some of us. Yeah, that's just an awesome gift. So none of us are off the hook because Paul's point is not all the variety. It's the point that every one of us has been given gifts or gifts from Jesus. And so everyone is gifted, but not everyone opens their package. How many of you have ever received a package, a present from someone, and you've not opened it? You just kept it on a shelf. You like the looks of the wrap. That was, okay, yeah, you're with me. Okay, in my family, that would never happen, particularly with me, because I'm fondly remembered as the shredder in my family. 
any picture, any movie film of me opening presents, and I am tearing into them as though my life depended on it with great enthusiasm. But for each one of us, I've got three people here that I've, been given, I've given gifts to. So if they would, just hold up their gift right now so we know where to look. Yes, all right. We've got three people here with gifts. Now, I have a question for all of you. Thank you, wonderful gift receivers. What happens if they never open these gifts? You tell me, what happens? They never find out what it is. That's right. And they can't thank the person who gave it, so they can't give thanks. That's right. What else? You can't use it. That's right. Anything else? Yeah. Yes, in some cases, when you don't know the gift, it could, it could deteriorate. It could go away, especially if you've got a delicious uh, treat inside of there. That's good. Yeah, you can't share it. That's what happens when we don't open the gifts that God's given us. It's limiting. We might be missing out on something that's useful, not only in our lives, but more importantly, in another's lives, because gifts are given to be shared. Well, you guys that have those gifts, just hang on to them for a minute. Now, this asks us because we get the same results as these guys would get when we don't open our gifts. We don't know what we have. We don't get to use it. We don't get to thank Jesus for them because we haven't taken time to unwrap it. And though we'd like them to be, they're not always readily apparent. It, 1 Corinthians 13 says, we see in a mirror dimly. Well, this is true with gifts too. It's sometimes we see dimly what is going on in the spiritual realm. And this is one of those cases Okay, it's really time for these three to stand, face the crowd, and open your gifts. That's right. There's Sue going at it. Yeah, just go for it, you guys. Pull those out and hold them high. All right, so we have the snuggly red Valentine's blanket right here for some of you. In, over here, we have $20 toward a Valentine date or childcare, whichever you need most. And... Oh, and back in the back, we have a wonderful Black & Decker drill. I feel like Vanna right now. Okay. There we go. Okay, and you can sit down. Hang on to those gifts in just a minute. I'm going to ask you to do something with them. And the same thing that happened when they opened their gifts is what happens when we decide to unwrap the gifts God's put in our lives. We discover what it is, how it could be used, and we start to see Wow, I could share that here. Wow, I could do this for this person with that gift. Wow, I could give this to this person. It's really exciting. We're the ones who miss out, isn't it, when we, open, when we don't open up our gifts. So we want this discovery process. What does it look like to unwrap the gifts that God's put in you? I like to say there's two categories of gifts. There's the gifts you were born with. They still come from God. He's our creator. He's the one who's the maker. He's the one who had the original idea of DNA and genetics. So we have this hardwiring that God's put in each one of us. And it really is smart to pay attention to it because it is from him. And then there's those gifts that I say we're reborn with. This refers to when I come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you decide to have a relationship with him and allow him to forgive you and to put his Holy Spirit within you. And it says the Holy Spirit comes and begins to put gifts in your lives. It's some of the gifts that we read about and that I referred to in those other passages today. So he, we all have those gifts put in us at rebirth and when we're born. So I want to just talk with you for a few minutes about four ways that you could unwrap what those gifts are. 
And it's going to include both the gifts you were born with and the gifts that you were reborn with. First of all, take personal inventories. Okay, personal inventories come in all forms and shapes and look at you from different angles. I like to call them a snapshot of you from a particular angle. So one inventory, they don't all measure the same thing. One of them takes a picture of your head. Another one, maybe your feet. Okay, one of your backside. No, no, that's not the one I want. That's the one I avoid. But they all measure something different. They take a look at something different. I just want to mention a few. First of all, a spiritual gifts inventory. This looks at the gifts that we're reborn with. Okay? So, and it doesn't look at all of them because the Bible's not comprehensive in its listing. Uh, but there's other ways we'll talk about in a minute. So a spiritual gifts inventory. I've listed one that's great there from lifeway.com. By the way, that's affiliated with Southern Baptists. It's wonderful, rather conservative Baptists. It's a wonderful uh, website. And that's a great spiritual gifts inventory. Uh, but it's not the all in all. Secondly, there's strength finders. And this one looks at some of the hard wiring that you were born with. And it's born out of a lot of great research. And it will, if you buy the little book, and then you take the quiz online. It'll give you your top five strengths. These are more like appetites, things that you'll do regardless of what your assignment is. And there's fun little um, categories for that. There's 34 different strengths listed here, but you're going to get your top five. It's a lot of fun. Then thirdly, there's the DISC profile. And DISC stands for D for dominant, I for ins inspirational, C for, or S for steady, and C for conscientious. And there's a lot of combinations thereof. And that's a wonderful profile that takes a look at you as you relate to people, behave toward people in different contexts. So you take it for your home context, and you might get one profile. You take it for another context, like work, and you might get another profile. And it can be a lot of fun to understand who you are. And finally, the Myers-Briggs uh, temperament analysis. And I've only given you profiles that are free, by the way, uh, for the most part, except for strength finders. You can find these online. And the Myers-Briggs, it measures one of the things Jared talked about last week that's kind of important when you talk about how you're going to share your gifts. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? Now, an introvert is drained by interaction with people. They can be very good at it, but it's the impact it has on them. They have to recharge alone. So if I put an introvert on greeting, what's going to happen after six months? They're probably going to come to me and say, this is just overwhelming me. I am getting exhausted doing this. You know, that's why we do these little snapshots. It's only to help direct the gifts that God's given us to the best place where we're in our power alley, as we like to say. So the second way is to ask friends and mentors what they see in you. And I love this one, and I like to not wait to be asked. I just like to go around telling people what I see in them because most of us would love to know that others see things in us. Most of us want to be significant. Most of us want to know that there's things about us that encourage and bless and build others up. So my fir the first people who did this for me were my volunteer junior high pastors, Dave and Jeanette. They happened to be Jared's older cousins. And they came to me and told me one day after our youth group, they said, Ann, you have the making of a leader. And we'd like to help you get started on that right now as an eighth grader. And they started letting me do things and started letting me help plan things. And they really worked on my relationship with Jesus and my devotional life and prayer life and those kinds of things all along the way. That was a wonderful gift to me. My kid's um, youth pastor in Southern California, his name was Reggie, and we were having a barbecue and he was at the house. He was telling me that he was going to write a book. And what did I think of that? 
because he's kind of telling me about what his next things were going to be to do, his contribution. And I said, you know, Reggie, that may be something you really do. He was all of maybe 34 years old at that time. And I said, that might be something you want to do when you're, uh, you know, a little bit further along in life because you don't want to write something that you regret. Um, and wisdom comes as you let things season a little bit. But I said, I could really see you doing that later on. I said, but can I tell you what I really see in you? And I told him about these startup gifts that I'd noticed in life, how he would make a great church planter. Well, nothing happened at that time. He was kind of like, whoa, that's scary, planting a church. Six months later, he came to me, to Jared and I, and shared with us they wanted to plant a church and would we help him get ready. And a year later, he planted a church in Moore Park, California, and our daughter became the children's pastor for him. Asking friends and mentors what they see in you can be a great way to discover spiritual gifts. Now, the next one is to experiment and evaluate. This is the good old trial and error, okay? And I know that some of us are like, oh, you know, I'd like to watch your trial and error and figure it out. But when we're talking about the gifts that God's given you, it doesn't work that way. You have to experiment and then evaluate. And yes, you can get some people's help with that part. I can remember uh, the, one of the first times that I experimented and evaluate I was in college, and the women's pastor at Faith Center asked me if I would uh, do worship, lead worship, for an early morning Bible study. Yes, it was 5.30 in the morning at a restaurant in a room. So, I mean, it was an opportunity, right? And I was like, okay, I'll do that. I knew I could carry a tune. Isn't that all you need to lead worship? Come on. It was a cappella, too, just might add. I didn't have uh, gifts. I didn't play guitar or anything yet. So I went ahead, and I did it. And I learned a lot doing it. But, you know, after a few months, she asked me if I would teach while she was going to be gone one week. And when I taught, I got a lot more feedback than I did when I led worship. And secondly is I felt like I was in my power alley. I experimented, and I just came alive with teaching. And so she started working with me on that and gave me my first opportunities to teach through books of the Bible. It's a wonderful experiment and evaluate. Now, Jared here, when he was in college, he was asked to teach three-year-olds. And um, I have to tell you that he was overwhelmed. I mean, if you can take a room of three-year-olds, can take a grown man hostage, they did it well, you know? I happened to sub in there with him a couple times. So, okay, he experimented and evaluated. This is not for me. Interestingly, what some of us do is we go, I tried something with kids and it was overwhelming. I'm not a kid's person. But that isn't what was happening. He was in the wrong age group. You see, then he went to third grade Sunday school class. We had 60 third graders in our class, in our service. And we had a whole bunch of the pastor's kids. You know what that means? They'd been at church for multiple services. And we gave him all the boys so that they could kind of, he could settle them in. But you know what he discovered? He was really good with the third graders. And so it's important that when we evaluate, we don't make the leaps that, but that we give things different tries. Just this last week, maybe you've said, anybody ever say, I'll never do, and you fill in the blank? Anyone ever use the never word? Yeah. Well, I had a, a friend of ours on the phone, and she was telling me, I said I'd never do children's ministry. And she said, now I'm leading and loving it. Leading and loving it. That's a far cry from never, isn't it? And so that's why experiment and evaluate can be so helpful. And then the last one, listen to yourself. What do I mean by that? Listen to yourself talking when you're with friends, when you're in groups of people, when you're in a a soap group, when you're at a 
uh, a men's breakfast and hear what you're saying and what you're talking about. What do you repeatedly talk about? So this last week, Jared and I had dinner with different couple every single night of the week. And one night we were the couple, young uh, married couple, and it was so fun to hear him talk about. It. He said, I just love to help people after they've made a decision to give their life to Christ. I love to help them understand how much their Papa God loves them and how they can grow up in Him and all the things that a king's kid should experience in their life and how to have devotions. And he's just an amazing discipler. You could hear it in his passion. So, what pushes your passion button or fills your tank? Last week, I asked a woman to be a friend, uh, lead a friend shop at our women's retreat. And within 45 minutes, she sent me this Facebook message. Thank you so much for contacting me about doing a class. I'm so excited. My head is going crazy with ideas. You know that you've hit your power alley. You've hit an area of giftedness when somebody asks you to do it. And your response is that alive, is that excited about it. So what's your passion button? And then what areas do you tend to be to critique the most uh, when you're around them? Because often we tend to critique areas that we really care about, that we're passionate about ourselves, or that we have very definite opinions about. And it can lead us to an area of giftedness. And then finally, where have you been effective in serving in the past? I met with a woman this last week, and I was just getting to meet her for the very first time, and she wanted to help us here at Evergreen with a food uh, ministry that's going to help kids that go hungry on long weekends at school so they get a backpack and you put food in it. And because I didn't know her, I wasn't sure, what does she want to do? What is she gifted to do in relationship to this? Is it the collection? Is it distribution? Is it rally the troops? You know, what's your area of giftedness? So I asked her this question. Tell me what you've done in the past with helping people. And she said, oh, at Christmas, I collected food for the Oregon Food Bank at my job, over 300 employees in my division. And we collected, and she told me how many tons of food. I knew right then I had somebody who at least had a mercy gift, which is listed there in Romans 12, and that she loved doing things that helped people with food, and that she was going to be great at rallying the troops. So you can do that too. Look, take a look at what you've done in the past. Now, our kids heard this a lot growing up. You bring who you are to whatever you do. What does that really mean? It means that Jesus' gifts for each one of us are not just for the one or two hours you might spend in this building during the week. They're 24-7 gifts. They're for all the time. We get to give them away in different places. We get to give them away to people at work. We get to give them away to people in our neighborhood. We get to give them away to what I call those divine encounters. The grocery store clerk that opened up to me and told me that she was struggling with depression. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. I can do something about that. I can pray for Patty. I can connect with her every time I go back into that store. I look to see if she's one of the checkout people and then I can find out about her. These are the ways that God uses our gifts 24-7. You're in the middle of a business deal, and God gives you a word of wisdom, something you couldn't have discerned on your own about what's going on in the negotiations, and you go another direction. You have wisdom and insight and access to things that others don't. But all of this leads us to this same thing. Our gifts have many applications and contexts we can use them in, but that's the key, this second big idea Everyone's gift or work or service is needed. 
Paul's big second idea. Your gifts are significant to the health of the whole church. He said this in verse 16, that very last verse. For from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Again, that individual focus. When each part does its work. The word there is another one of those biology words, or you could say, um, yeah, biochemistry words, because Paul uses throughout this passage a lot of really specific medical terms for the body and anatomy and things, and it's thought that he borrowed those from Dr. Luke. So I like to think of this one as each part does its supplying, its furnishing, and if you think of blood supply, you've got the right idea going. So you know what happens if I were to cut off blood supply to one of my digits here? or to my hand, or to my leg, or maybe my foot. If that isn't restored within a particular fr- uh, time frame, catastrophic results could happen. I could lose that digit or that limb. And what he's saying here is that the whole body's health and growth, the maturity, depends on blood supply, on your work, your supply, what you have to furnish, what only you can bring, coming to your part. Of that body. And Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4:10. Each one of us should use whatever gift he's received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in all of its various forms. Every person's contribution is needed for the whole church to grow up. Now, immaturity isn't too attractive at any age, and Paul makes specific reference here. He uses two metaphors to tell us what happens when you and I are not sharing our gifts, are not unwrapping them and then contributing them to the whole. Here's the two metaphors he used. First of all, he says we're going to be like infants. Now, infants are cute when they're supposed to be infants, but when they don't grow up, it isn't any fun for anyone. And he uses this metaphor. First of all, we'll be blown here or there. The word literally means to be swung around. And the picture I have is the game I do with my granddaughter, Katie. I take her under the arms, and then I spin her several times, usually more than that. And then I let her stand on the floor. She loves this game. And then she kind of staggers around, and sometimes she falls. So I make sure I do this where it's safe, of course. But that's what he's referring to here, that we're, that's what we end up being like, staggering, ready to fall, stumbling, not knowing our way. The second image he uses is tossed to and fro. And he's talking about like a cork does on top of a surging sea. You know that corks float really well, but they just bob. They go wherever the waves take them, wherever the wind and the waves would blow them. And he's saying that we're wishy-washy, unstable, ungrounded, imbalanced. I mean, that's immaturity and that's not a pretty picture. But that's what we are when we don't open up our gifts and then contribute them toward one another. So to grow up, we each need to do our work. Sherry works in Flash. That's the fours and fives class. And she loves and is passionate about Jesus. And she's there every Sunday at 11. And she loves to get down on her knees like this because she's the person that greets every four or five-year-old. You know there's about 30 plus four and fives at the 11 o'clock service. That's a lot of little kids to greet. She doesn't worry about their germs or anything else because she knows that these kids are coming from a morning where they may not have been terribly successful. You know, kids do get in trouble before church. That's right. Maybe they didn't want to eat their breakfast. 
Maybe they weren't getting ready. Maybe they had a tantrum. But they'll come in, and some of them are struggling. But every child will be greeted. Every child will have a hug. Every child, she wants them to know that God loves them. And it's amazing the impact that has. Week in, week out, pretty soon those kids that came in struggling, not really hesitant, scared about coming to class, they're relaxing. They're excited. They know that Sherry is going to be there and give them that hug, and that the teachers are going to have something wonderful prepared for them. But that first touch is hers. What happens if Sherry's not there? If she decides, hmm, that's a nice gift. I think I'll set it on a shelf and look at it for a while. What if Sherry decided that because her life had been through a difficult time, which it had been a couple years ago, what if she decided, you know what, life is kind of tough. I don't need to share I'm just going to hang on to it. What if she decided, I'm getting older. I don't need to do my gifts. After all, isn't there a clause in there? Gifts retired? No, remember we just said, instead, you have a new context, a new way, a new application to share your gifts. God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. We are a gift-based, volunteer-driven church. And each of us will find our greatest joy and fulfillment as we're sharing those gifts with each other. And that's where each of us is going to be transformed into who Jesus wants us to be. And we're going to grow up. And we're not going to be wishy-washy. We're going to stand firm. And we're going to know how to give an answer and a help and mercy and grace and all kinds of gifts to other people. But without your service, that kind of maturity is never going to happen. So... I need these gift givers to stand up again. These guys have been so amazing. Can we just give them a hand? Yeah, they've been great. Okay, now this is where it gets fun. Because I need for somebody to tell me that who needs a drill out there. This is a Black & Decker drill that can help you hang pictures, screw in dollies. You know, just a real handy dandy. It's got all the batteries with it. Anybody here want to admit I could really use that to hang some pictures, do some minor? Okay, right over here, Joan is going to make her way toward you. Yeah, that's good. Okay, how about um, Sue Swain's gift here, this wonderful Valentine, fuzzy, warm blanket. Oh, man, I see the first hand up right there. Lynn wants it, yeah. And finally, our $20 Valentine date or child care money, either one, it doesn't matter which. Raise your, oh, first hand up gets it. There we go. Okay, thank you. Well, isn't that what it's all about? Now, I want you to think of something. It wasn't that easy for some of us to say we needed something, was it? Isn't that the other half of this gift thing? Yeah, that really illustrated it well. Somebody has a gift, but it's also about being able to receive these gifts. If we want to benefit from them, I've got to be willing to say, I need help. Some of us want osmosis to do that job. We want all of us to be mind readers. You should know. I'm having a really hard time right now, and I could use a word of encouragement. You should know that I just have gotten over being sick for four days. You should know I've just had my extended family with me for the last two weeks. Where were you when I needed all that extra help? And yet we don't know, do we? So that's a part of these gift giving. Well, here's how you can put your gifts to work here at Evergreen. I like to say deploy and develop. 
Now, don't be thrown off the words. Don't let them scare you because I could have just used Nike's slogan, which is very good about this. Just do it. You know, because that's what we're really saying. You have to have courage and just start putting it into action. But some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Ann, you have these ideas reversed. Isn't it develop and then deploy? Actually, it's not. That's not what Paul's saying here, and it's not what Jesus modeled. Paul's saying here that you serve and then you grow and mature as you serve. Not, I get all that I need And when I get to a certain level, now I can start giving. It's I serve and then I grow as I serve or develop. And Jesus modeled this too. He was a just-in-time developer of other people. He had relationship with people. Then he gave them an opportunity to serve. And then he gave them training or development. Let's think with me for just about one example. In Luke 11, Jesus was praying. When he finished praying, his disciples said to him, would you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples to pray? What? Think about this. This is his team. These are the apostles. And they still don't know how to pray? Jesus didn't say this. He said, what are you guys doing? How did I get you? Didn't you miss, did you miss class 101 where you're supposed to learn how to pray before you start doing this stuff? No. This was a pattern that was repeated many times with Jesus. Instead, he then turned to them and said, this is how you should pray. He didn't make sure they had everything up front, front front-loaded. He got them started serving, and then that made them hungry to learn and to grow. And the same thing happens with us. So how do I find my place to serve at Evergreen? Well, you have this little handout that was the connection opportunities. And you received it last week, and I think you received it again this week, but they're serving opportunities both weekend and midweek. And I want to just mention the process because it's the same one that Jesus used. It's relationship, and out of that relational process, then you're given an opportunity. And as you're doing what you've been given an opportunity to do, you get developed with formal and informal training. So let's take a look at that process just real quickly. First of all, you connect with someone. It might be out at hospitality. You've got a friend doing something, um, and they're telling you about it. Or you overhear somebody talking about something they're doing, a missions trip they're taking, or the class they're teaching for kids, or the dishes they're washing for Ignite. And you hear them uh, talking about, you know, I could do that. I'd like to help with that. So it's this whole connect piece. It might be a ministry leader that you connect with. It might be the connection card. And you just have something burning in your heart that you wonder, is there any place for me to do this? You write that on the connection card and say that you want to be contacted and somebody contacts you. The second step then is a volunteer application. You fill that out online. We now have it online. Looks kind of like this, the start of it. You fill that out and then somebody contacts you for the areas that you're interested in experimenting in then you might still need a hard copy. Those are out at the kiosks if you're not an online person yet. And then you have a conversation with a ministry leader in the areas that you're interested in. Again, always coming back to that relationship. And then we do a background check. Now, all four of these first four steps are the same thing. They're all about relationship. What Jesus did, he got to know them. He chose 12 so they could be with him. That's the first thing he did. And this is our way to get with you to understand who you are, how you're gifted, so that we can really help you soar in what you're going to serve in. And then the opportunities extended. 
based on your gifts, your spiritual maturity, what's needed for the particular service, there's always a spot for everyone. It's just what is that spot? Now, I want to do a little caveat here at the end of this because that's talking about formal roles or having assignments. But remember what we said about Jesus' gifts in us? They're 24-7. They're for the marketplace. They're for my neighborhood. They're while I'm in my kids' schools. And so I want you to know that those are spirit-powered gifts, and those are operational wherever we go. And guess what? You don't have to fill out an application. You don't have to have a background check. You don't have to go through any sort of formal process. In fact, that's what we should come every week in our time together. We should ask Jesus, is there anything you want me to bring today? Is there somebody I'm going to talk to that needs a word of encouragement? Is there somebody I'm supposed to be generous toward today if generosity is your gift? Is there somebody who needs mercy shown if mercy is your gift? Is there somebody who needs this word of knowledge you've given me? Word of wisdom? That's what we're talking about there. And that bypasses all of that process I just described. And each one of you can act on those gifts. And that brings us to develop. And that really just happens as we do the things now that we've been given opportunity to do. As you serve, you get experience, you receive feedback, so we can improve what we do for each other and get more effective at it. We want to be good. We want to be excellent in the Lord's service. It's usually in what we call teaching moments that most development happens when you're in the middle of serving or when you're in the middle of doing something and you get to see somebody who does something so amazing. Like Christmas Eve as we watched Kim Lawless tell the story to the kids. If you're a teacher at all or a communicator at all or if you have kids in your home or grandkids, you could have watched her and said, I could learn how to be a better storyteller with my kids or my grandkids or in my class by doing that. That's what we're talking about in development. You might be rocking babies in the nursery, and there were 17 in there at the 11 o'clock service last week. Yes, just in the nursery alone. So I'm not sure that you might hear each other while you're doing this, but, you know, a lot of times you're rocking babies, and you're talking about what your dreams and your prayers for these kids, and you're praying over the kids, and you've got music going in the background, and you're talking about God's dreams and hopes for each one of them. That's what we're talking about. Everyone has something to do, and everyone's service is needed. We connect, and we commit so that we can contribute and see the transformation that God wants for each one of us. So it all comes back to each individual life. I can only use myself because I know my story best, but I'm standing before you today, and I couldn't even write down the name of every person who's made a contribution in my life that's kept me on the rock of Jesus Christ, that's kept me founded on him through thick and thin, that's helped me understand that no matter what I face, I never have to be afraid. I'm in God's hands. I think back to the girl who was outgoing, an extrovert, walked down the street and, and invited me to go to church with her. I think back to the person who had a ministry of helps and gave me rides on midweek services so I could come to the kids' time. I thank God for the women's Bible study that saw fit to adopt Jared and I as church planters. And they prayed for us and they remembered all of our special occasions. And they checked in on us to find out how we were doing. I thank God for the mentor that we had who said, hey, you can call me if you need me. 
But otherwise, you're not going to hear from me too much. And in six years' times, we did need to call him twice. And he drove down the freeway and met us out on the freeway and talked. I think back to the people who modeled for us what it looks like to be a leader, a servant leader. I think back to the people who modeled for us the fact that you can't just get a degree and stop learning. You can't just go to school for 12 years or 16 years or 24 years and then think it's done, but that you have to keep growing with Jesus. I thank God for the people who taught me how to study the Bible and the people who saw fit to give that first contribution to our church plant. We're not even started, and they visited in our home, and they left an envelope with $20 in it and said, this is for your first offering at your church plant. I think about our first pastor's conference when somebody tapped us on the shoulder and said, hey, the Lord just told us to give this to you. Now, we were there, and we were hitchhiking our way back and forth between Estes Park and the conference center uh, during free time because we didn't have a lot of extra funds, but we were going to be at that conference. They handed us an envelope with some money in it. It takes a church to raise God's children. That's what Paul's really saying. We can't do it alone. And it always comes back to Jesus. He's the one who gifts us and empowers us and motivates us, stirs us up, spurs us on to sharing those gifts with each other. So I'd like you to think about what is it God's speaking to you? How can you improve your serve this week? Is it discover? Do you need to unwrap the gifts a little bit more? Do you need to do a little more research? Is it deploy? Do you need to just do it, like Nike says, and get started on that? Do you need to develop? Are you looking for a way to become more skillful at what you're doing? We're here to help you with that. Let's pray together.